I went to a marvelous party. Most people don't even know the fact that the underlying ideas don't have enough depth to last your entire season. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the Internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through thedinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to the March 31st, 2013 Easter Sunday livecast of The Dinner Party Show. Tonight, the not report is more of a challenge than usual. Mm -hmm. We know what we don't want to talk about, but we have no idea what you want to talk about. Still, it's a tradition. Like biting the head off the chocolate bunny first Uh, and then... Tail. Head. Tail. Tail. Head. <laughs> oh, God damn it. As I was saying, in keeping with the tradition, here's our not report for tonight. Tonight, we will not be talking about whatever the hell is happening to Amanda Bynes, right? including her strange new face yeah. and her request that hip hop star Drake, quote, murder her private parts. Oh, dear. She's either on the express train to Crazy Town or she's a failed attempt by alien invaders to take over a human body as host. And speaking of the failed Stephanie Meyer post Twilight film, and we won't we be weren't. talking about that. To Disaster either. No, girl. Oh, dear. Tonight we will not be talking about Lilo (laughs) until she actually does something new. Preach. Getting drunk, showing up late to court, going to rehab, running away from rehab, and generally behaving badly is not new and we're not talking. We refuse to comment also on the news that Amazon has acquired Goodreads, except to say that there's now one less place where an author's former lover can post shitty anonymous reviews of their books. Also, we're not quite sure what the exact implications are for either website, so we're going to stick to yelling about the Supreme Court. Here, here. We further refuse to comment on whether or not Kim or Jessica or any other pregnant people are fat or dressing poorly or anything else. A, they are pregnant, leave them the hell alone, and B... Surely there are more interesting people to talk about. We will also not be discussing tonight's season finale of The Walking Dead because Eric can't stand zombies. Can't stand it. Sorry, loyal listener and author Samiko Salson. Maybe you can bring him around during tonight's show. Maybe. And yes, Justin is acting like a rich 19-year-old jerk because... He's a rich 19-year-old jerk. Stop paying attention and he'll go away faster than you can say Jonas Brothers. Remember them? Mm -mm. But no, we're not talking about it. And in honor of this holy day, we will not be speculating on whether or not the new pope will be less hateful and antediluvian than all the other hateful antediluvian ones before him. Because they're all the same. Well, that's a big word. As for everything else, it's still on the table and wearing bunny ears on tonight's live cast of The Dinner Party Show. Hippity hop. And now, here to give tonight's provocation for the dinner party show. 
people of Earth, we ask that you bless this dinner party show. And if you refuse, we would like to remind you that we control your oceans. We would also like to remind you that all of your world's religions were inspired by precise meteorological phenomena we triggered with our multidimensional air and waterborne craft. Please, bless this table and its two hosts, Christopher and Eric, or we will activate our race of hybrids who dwell among you in relative secrecy, and we will give them directives to channel the course of humanity so that most of its participants acquire a better sense of humor in advance of our planned apocalypse and Earth reclamation. And no, we will not answer any questions about which one of your politicians is or is not one of us. We don't want to take responsibility for any of them. To be honest, we decided the entertainment industry was a better investment. Which is why we, the minders of the third stratus outer belt of Lotharian, are official sponsors of the dinner party show. And yes, you will forget the name I just told you as soon as this transmission is complete. Just as we have made you forget your true origins. Also, can someone please tell those douchebags at the History Channel to stop saying we built the pyramids? Those stupid things had nothing to do with us. We actually thought they were a colossal waste of time. Egypt might still be a great empire if they hadn't wasted all that time and manpower on those fucking pyramids. Anyway, I've drifted from what you humans call the point. We don't have points in our universe. No, no, like seriously, they don't exist. Everything is curved. Anyway, listen to the show. And no, it's not because we have embedded any messages in it that will control your brain. We can do that kind of stuff in our sleep. Only we don't sleep. Anyway, are you getting why it's hard to communicate with you people? There are just so many differences. Uh, anyway, listen to the dinner party show. It's more real than the light show we tricked you into thinking was the Virgin Mary. Oh, and we got her pretty good, too. Did you hear something? I have this strange buzzing in my head. Okay, my, I have sinus pain, but I don't. I always Wait, have sinus did you? Pain. Did we forget Who, to get somebody the to the provocation? Uh, whatever, whatever. Well, I don't I don't know. Skip on. Anyway, welcome to the dinner party show. Right, we're Christopher and Eric, and you are the guest of honor yes, this week. Yes, you are. You are. That deserves a fanfare. All of you on the Facebook page, train singers. Hours and hours of community theater when I was in high school. Um, we decided to do something new tonight because we're so sick of diva celebrities in the studio making ridiculous demands. We're talking about you, Anne Rice, and your chair made of caviar. Yes, we are. That was the smelliest chair. I know. And Alec Mappa brought all of those ferrets. I think we still have a ferret in there here. Was a, there was one, I think, still in the, in the pantry in the bathroom. But you cooked and ate it, didn't you? Well, you know. That's the special ingredient in Eric's homemade cookies, Alec Mappa's ferrets. And fava beans. <laughs> anyway, so we're doing this new thing. You are our guest. 
Um, which is great because we are currently dressed in our pajamas. Um, the door's wide open. We've got stray cats wandering in and out. We're doing whatever we want here in the studio, and that's 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 the that's the way it goes. It's casual night. day at the dinner party show. <laughs> you have on your orange shirt. I, if you say this shirt is orange <laughs> one more time, I am going to walk out of the studio and slam the door of my trailer. <laughs> you don't have a trailer. Well, I'm first going to all. go get one and charge it to the show. Okay, I'm sorry. You're creamsicle shirt. Pardon me. My shirt is yellow. So, yellow. Anyway, I'm going to change the subject because Eric won't admit he's wearing a yellow shirt. And because nobody gives a shit what color my shirt is because we're on the radio. Absolutely. And what they don't know is because we don't have a guest that's going to sit across from the table tonight because all of our guests are currently on our Facebook page. We're talking about you, Justin Simpson, Buffy Peterson, Samiko Salson, Michael Minch. The list goes on and on. That Ann lady who won't leave us alone. Anyway, because we don't have a guest literally at the table, Eric and I are turned facing each other, and um, this is this is really exciting stuff. This is really behind-the-scenes stuff. Are you even paying attention? What are I'm you doing so over bored. there? I'm so bored. Oh, my God. You have a new computer, which you brought into the studio, I'm which you were all about. I'm, I'm here to... carrying the show on my back, and you're—and it's a Mac, by yes, the way. I got a new Apple—what do they call them? iBook or something? I, I got a. Know. It's a new laptop, and so I brought it— PowerBook. We usually use our iPads for the show— but I thought that since we were going to be all about people's questions on the interwebs, it would be easier to use my fabulous and glamorous new, whatever you call it, laptop. It's it's silver, like all Macs, and it has black keys that glow. Yeah, that's my favorite. I love that the keys light up because if you're, like, sitting in bed typing at night, it's easier to see. <sighs> Oh, mine is the boring conversation. <laughs> anyway, I brought this just so that we would be able to keep track of um, our fabulous listeners chiming in and being a part of the show. So maybe we should start including them in the conversation and it would be less dull. They gave us some topics that... They did, yes. That they wanted to start out with. Now, do we want to talk about the topics now, or how are we going to do this, Christopher? Well, I think we're going to dive in. What we made a request for earlier in the week was that people post to our Facebook page the news items that they wanted us to talk about. So we will cover some news stories like we usually do, only this time they will be listener-generated. But speaking of the news, we do have a report from Breck Artery this week that we're going to file, and then we will be back with you, the lovely people with your on news our stories. Facebook page. So Breck. And now, live from the world headquarters of Acme, it's Breck Artery. Good evening, this is Breck Artery. Though the decision will be dragged out for a few more cruel and unusual weeks, we are on the eve of the Supreme Court of the United States finally picking up the clue phone and voting to affirm that the Constitution really does promise equal rights for all Americans and repealing DOMA and Prop 8. The court this week heard arguments in support of the Constitution's assertion that our rights are in fact unalienable. They also heard from some bigoted anti-American anarchist assholes who think they should be able to decide who gets what rights. To help us explore just what the upcoming ruling could mean, we are joined tonight by Andy Didit, Executive Director of ACME. Andy, tell us a little bit about your organization. Thanks, Breck. We are ACME, American Certifying Marriage Equality. 
And where does your organization stand on this divisive issue? Well, frankly, Breck, we're torn. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes, on the one hand, even a complete moron can see that allowing all Americans the same rights, including those of marriage, is implicit in the social contract at the foundation of the entire country. Beyond obvious, and yet many of our alleged leaders seem confused on the issue. Well, Breck, we at Acme can understand. You can? Yes, because who can resist the temptation to meddle in other people's marriages? I suppose. While we think that granting marriage to all Americans is a no-brainer, should the anarchist court majority prove themselves to be the most corrupt U.S. Supreme Court since Dred Scott and actually rule against the Constitution and uphold these travesties of American justice? Doma and Prop 8. Yes, if they do, we see it as an injustice and an opportunity. How so? Well, Breck, we owe our inspiration to Florida's junior senator and leading moron Marco Rubio, who recently actually said out loud so that people could hear him that just because he wanted to prevent people who were different from him from enjoying the same marriage rights that he enjoys, that doesn't make him a bigot. Actually, that's kind of the definition of being a bigot. Exactly, Breck, and it inspired us. We think that if the court upholds DOMA, that opens the floodgates to allow us to prevent morons like Rubio from getting married. I'm not sure I, I understand where... If Marco gets a vote on other people's marriages, then we all get to vote on his. We at Acme want to certify all marriages. We would actually overturn Rick Santorum's marriage as his overbreeding demonstrates a completely irresponsible use of the privilege. Imagine the good we could have done to the economy if we could have overruled George and Barbara Bush in time. And with Rubio, well, who needs that kind of detritus in the gene pool? How exactly would this work, Andy? Well, Breck, since a pro-DOMA or pro-Prop 8 ruling by the court would actually mean that the right to marry is something to be decided and regulated by the whim and prejudice of the government and the electorate, we think that we should vote on everyone's marriage. Vote? Yes, every time a couple, any couple, decides that they want to get married, they have to file just like they were running for office. Mm. We could cut down on a lot of impulse marriages by setting a really high marriage petition threshold of registered marriage marriage voter signatures to be granted eligibility to get your marriage put on the ballot. And then we'd vote on every marriage? Right! It's not the marriage equality we're hoping for, but it would be equal. Everyone would be able to decide on whether or not everyone else could get married. Seems a bit cumbersome. Not to mention stupid and unconstitutional, but that's the system we have in place right now. We just plan to make sure it's applied equally and to everyone if it gets upheld by the court. Well, it seems like an awful lot of trouble, Andy. Yes, yes it does, Breck, but we stand for marriage equality for everyone. So if it turns out everyone gets to vote on whether or not gay people can get married, why not vote on everyone's marriage? Well, it could create an enormous personal burden, rain chaos down on the very fabric of our lives, and expand government exponentially, but to be honest, it really does seem like the fair thing to do. Or everyone could just mind their own goddamn business. Yes, there's, there's always that. Good point. Thanks for being with us, Andy. Thanks, Breck. Until next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you good night and good dinner. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show will be the judge of that. I love ABBA. You, did you hear that the lady from ABBA has actually come out with a new album? No. I don't know her name. I don't know anybody's name from ABBA except ABBA. But yeah, I was. they uh, they played 
was really strange. They played a song from it on the radio the other day, and the DJs talked during the song, commented while it was playing. I've, oh, I've that's never like heard, somebody's nightmare. I've never heard them do it, but they were favorable. They were being oh, favorable. Okay. It was not. A, they weren't mean, but it was like, wow, she's come. She's I don't know, sixty something years old, and has been nobody's seen her in thirty years or something. I, there was a special. I don't know if it what network it was, but it was a documentary about them. And in, in one of the women would not appear on camera. She would be interviewed, but she wouldn't allow them to film her talking because she felt she was so out of practice with her English that she'd only really learned English to be in the band. And I remember when they did some TV appearances. Well, actually, I don't remember because I was way too young. Yes. Sure. I was told that they said they picked English because, you know, Swedish. They, they tried to make a rhyme in Swedish, and they, they did what one of their songs would have sounded like in Swedish, and it was just, <laughs> you know, ridiculous. Because all languages that aren't English are ridiculous. If you just think about it, well, for a I think while. they just—I don't think there are any other languages, but English—they just talk gibberish when we're around. It's just Tower to make us Babel. feel bad, right? Did you ever see that practical joke that they pulled on Johnny Carson? Uh, it was back when Ed McMahon and Dick Clark did bloopers and practical jokes, and they literally sent Johnny Carson to a dinner party where everyone spoke complete gibberish. I'm not kidding. Like the whole evening, and they just showed Johnny Carson's face the whole night as. <laughs> He just, he just went, got drunker and drunker and ignored all of them. What do I do? I'm famous. I'm still Johnny Carson. Fuck all these people. Uh, that's, I think that's exactly what he said on network television. Think, Fuck all these people. I'm Johnny. Uh, that sounds like him. That sounds like him. So we have marriage filibuster has been suggested. Yes, John Matson is saying that we should be able to filibuster someone's position And to for settle the great shirt debate, Billy, our resident expert on everything, says that my shirt is scrambled egg color. Which scrambled eggs can so, often be orange. So Sumiko is... It's not pee-pee or baby poo yellow. It's scrambled egg yellow, although probably tending more towards pee-pee, I would say. Absolutely. And Sumiko, no, we cannot talk about Game of Thrones or The Walking Dead because in some time zones they may allegedly be on right now and we don't want people watching them instead of listening to our show. Well, if they are, they will never know that we were talking about them. Well, no, they may switch over now that I... Oh, fuck, never mind. You already talked about it. I already it. talked about it's it. It's too late. Now everybody's gone. Yeah. Sumiko also has a friend named Jody who doesn't know if she likes us yet. She's just started listening oh, to Jody, the show. Oh, Jody, you Jody, should Jody, we're, like us. we're so cool. We're yeah. awesome. Come and sit at our table. <laughs> Justin would like us not to be answering any of these questions or comments currently. He wants us to talk about current events before... Uh, we get to all the direct response to our listeners on the Facebook page. <laughs> Justin has been in Palm Springs all weekend, surrounded by lunatics, and apparently has some has control just, issues. Has heard just about enough from all you lunatics. <laughs> we don't. We're going to find out what he was doing at the white party. We just know that he was at the white party, and we do not approve. And we are waiting for the pictures. Okay, so we solicited news stories from all of our lovely loyal listeners earlier in the week, and the one that we picked out to go to the top of the pile is from Sumiko. Salson, and it is Bill Gates wants geeks to build a better condom. Or ready? whoever. I don't know that it would. I'd necessarily turn to geeks, but yeah, they're uh, people with uh, scientific knowledge, too. I, I have to say, I'm, I was reading that headline word for word. This is a CNN article. Gates wants geeks to build a better condom. I'm not sure who's writing the headlines at CNN, but I think they had some weed that day. Well, I think that, you know, it's the influence of that idiot 
Jeff, Jeff Zucker. Zucker. Eric hates Jeff Zucker. Well, I don't hate him. I just think he is the perfect example of the Peters principle. He destroyed NBC. They put him in charge of NBC, and he literally wrecked the network, and now he's wrecking CNN. I, I don't know why. I wish that somebody would let me be the head of NBC for five years. Like, some billionaire would just say, okay, Eric, Nobody's watching anyway. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> We've fallen behind you Univision, be which they have. NBC got to be, the, the when they were at their best, they got to be what they got to be by focusing on doing quality programming. And I don't know what's going on over there or has been for a while, but they've just completely lost their minds. And I just... It just seems like, uh, honey, I could show you what to do if you just well, what would let you me. Do? What would you do, and, and what does well, it have to do with uh, building it, a better condom? It would take with it would take nerves of steel. It has nothing to do okay. with building a better condom. It has to do with you just sort of have you have to commit and then just wait it out. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't do a quality program, and when it doesn't get. Um, American Idol numbers, the first time they put it on the air, mm-hmm. you don't cancel it. You commit to it. it. Right. It's with anything. You have to work on building an audience. They're going through this crazy uh, fight over, you know, it's starting again with The Tonight Show. Oh, like, God. It's working like just... Leave it alone. It's fine, just the way it is. You're right. already in number one. Worry about everything else that's going to hell in a handbasket. And when Jay decides to retire, well, you can worry about that later on. Right, right, right. So anyway, anyway, back to this condom. The better condom thing. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I went to World Aid Conference once, millions of years ago, when it was in New Orleans, like in the 80s, because I was working for the South Carolina Department of Health and had Education services, DHEC. I don't remember what DHEC stood for. DHEC was your friend from the yarn barn. Don't get confused. It used to be DFUCK, but then that got people too upset, so they changed it to DHEC. It was too relevant. It was too relevant, but it, we were doing, we did a campaign. I actually had a campaign, that I, a TV campaign in, in South Carolina in the early 80s where somebody held up a condom and said, this is a condom, use it or do, avoid taking the risk altogether. Pretty breakthrough for South Carolina. But I remember thinking at the conference, everybody there was basically calling for product improvement. And as they pointed out in this article, it's been relatively unimproved since the Egyptians well, invented them 5,000 years ago. What are the directions ago. you can go with it, with it? That's what I mean. Like, it's a sheath around the relevant area. I mean, what are we going to talk? Are we talking about a gel that's going to kill whatever comes out of the well, tip? I, you know, the thing that I think, like, if you could spray one on... Like if I think it is it is this the application of the condom that I find to be right. the biggest turnoff. Like right. if it could go on like a gel and then become the, then turn into the barrier once it was in place, so that it would be sort of stimulative in going on rather than it's it is a kind of unpleasant and anti yeah. the experience experience to snap on a rubber band around it while you're trying to enjoy yourself in other activities. Andrew Holleran, the writer of Dancer from the Dance, a book that you and I both like I very love much. That book so much. If you haven't read it, it's really one book. of the best books ever written. And Eric doesn't always go for the quote-unquote gay classics, but he went for Dancer from the Dance, and I did as well. I'm going to make this about Eric. But he said that oh, having to open a condom in the middle of sex injects death into the middle of sex for gay people, for people who are in high-risk groups for HIV. It's sort of like, oh, it's a reminder of, of mortality at a moment when you sh- you were trying to surrender. Right, so that if it went on like 
warm, delicious lube yeah. that you were sort of putting on those kinds of places, those mm-hmm. engorged <laughs> yummy parts. <laughs> Eric's getting his romance novelist Right, and out. it would become and then became the barrier. You know, I, I think it has to be something completely other than what we think of as a condom. Or I think it the the other thing, the 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 female version, the 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 concave version of mm-hmm. a, of a condom that could be in place before you start. Because I think one of the biggest problems, one of the things they point out in the article with people in Africa and whatever, which is where they're dealing with these unbelievable numbers, 30-something million people with HIV. uh, Just the nominal numbers of people being infected. um, Is, you know, in the moment of passion, getting people to pause Mm-hmm. To oh yeah, we should put on a condom now because that's not what people are thinking about in no. that moment. And if it was already in place, as with the, it wouldn't necessarily be a woman, but with the concave version, if mm-hmm. you will, could already be in place. Then yeah, you know, you wouldn't have to think about it. But again, it gets back to the limiting the enjoyment. I I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not the geek that they're. We are not for. condom geeks. That's not the name of the show. But it honestly does seem to me that you know that the, the the call for product improvement has been implicit in the uh, the gigantic increase in demand since HIV became the issue that it is now. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm surprised that the companies you know that Trojan that the R&D staff at Trojan hasn't come up with a more right. fun and less, um, I don't know, less what? Less buzzkill, less wet blanket well, version less of condom. tactile is what you're talking about. Less, a less hard, it's a hard product, for lack of a better term. Excuse me. You know, like the, something that doesn't come in a wrapper and has to be unwrapped and well, applied in that moment. let's see what comments we've gotten. Oh, on, we've gotten so many. Do you think your mother interweb. is still listening to the show during this condom segment? Actually, she, she is. She says, guys, be fair. Putting on a condom is not what males are thinking about when they have sex. No. I spent day- That's right. That's why I'm saying if you could make it into the, if the lube could become the condom. That's my mother. I asked if your mother was still listening oh to this God. show. Oh, my God. I'm not sure if my mother's <laughs> ever listened to the show all the way through. Well, poor Justin Simpson. Justin, we didn't make mean to make you feel bad. We, we knew you weren't trying to control the show. We were just teasing you the way we tease all of our guests because tonight you guys are our guests here on The Dinner Party Show. Um, so I... <laughs> <laughs> I honestly I love Nick Griffith having at Bill Gates. <laughs> Geeks speak to Bill Gates and demand above OS2, you first. Michael Minch says a condom geek would be a sex addict, in which case we should get Tiger Woods on the phone. So there's a lot of um there's a lot of opinions about this, but I- I'm always suspicious when there isn't the um, movement towards product improvement in the market, I-, I wonder if it can't be done. You know, like I would think if Trojan hasn't done it already, have they tried and failed at a, do- a dozen different, you know, directions? Well, it's a very simple idea. Like, it, and, and I think that if it's going to be the same thing, if you're just going to put a balloon on your penis, which is basically what it is, you know, if that's the only thing you're thinking of, then yeah, you know, what else can you do? I think it's going to have it. I think as with anything that's a new invention, it's going to be somebody seeing it in a completely different way. Yeah, absolutely. Buffy Peterson says women rarely, and I'm quoting Buffy now, want to fist themselves to get these female condoms in right. But yes, they have diaphragms and sponges, sponges, excuse me, but I don't think those are HIV yeah, barriers. No, it would those have to be like, it would have to be, and it would have to be something that the boys could put in too, because, you know, frankly, it's the same sort of, con- that's why I yeah. chose the term condom. 
concave. But yeah, the, I, I think that they 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 said in the article that the female versions were even less popular than the the male versions because they were incredibly cumbersome and uh, fisting. Wow, Jesus, yeah. I didn't know that was required. But yeah, that doesn't seem like a pleasant. <laughs> so maybe he's got the, maybe Bill Gates has the right idea. I hear he was kind of a big hit in computers, so. He seems to have, yeah, he's had Absolutely. some real, and he's also actually had some, made some real inroads with things like malaria and reading and some other stuff <laughs> that his foundation, he and Melinda's foundation has been focusing on. So what the fuck, you know, maybe we can actually maybe do something so. to help with the whole HIV maybe crisis, so. which is really kind of horrible. It is kind of horrible. Um, speaking of horrible, we have a word from one of our sponsors now, and then when we come back, <laughs> Tuan, Queen of the Stars, will be here with Don't an astrological... Don't sponsors. They'll uh, stop sponsoring the movie. show. It's a movie. Once the movie's out of the theater. But this is, yeah, this is an ad for a new movie that sounds, you know, well, I'll let you no. guys be the judge. New. No, exactly. <laughs> They have seized the largest shopping mall in America. They have one objective, to hold hundreds of men, women, and children hostage while they force our government to weaken our defenses. But what they didn't count on was one man, a highly trained, battle-scarred, ex-special forces operative with time in the Secret Service, who, through a series of preposterous plot devices, has somehow wound up working as a security guard at this very mall. His name is... John Protocol? I can't stand that guy! Who cares, Madam Bureaucrat? He's our only eyes on the ground! I know, but does it have to be him? He's trained in five different forms of physical combat. I know, but he's so rude. He's already killed five of the terrorists. Yeah, but we fired him, right? Yeah, and I'm not really sure why. He's uh, asking our SEAL team outside the mall to try to get a stash of artillery through one of the ventilation ducts so we can stage an assault on the terrorist nerve center inside Oh, the no, 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 thank you. If he wants to be all, I'm Mr. Rogue Terrorist Killer, he can get his own gun. Madam bureaucrat, at the risk of sounding insubordinate, our country is at stake here. He insulted me during a congressional hearing. He insulted your shoes. They were great shoes. Madam bureaucrat. Oh, fine. If you want to save the world with this guy again, be my guest. But I'm just going to sit right here and throw ridges in the plot when the action inside them all flags. Okay? In a world where the audience for action films is made up mostly of deluded white men who all believe they're super geniuses and it's really just their managers and supervisors holding them back, Hollywood brings you another tale of petty, childish, disconnected politicians who inexplicably obstruct the extraordinary feats of a man whose skills at saving the world are practically supernatural. This summer, it's John Protocol. Are we really not going to help this man? He's already saved the world nine times. They were great shoes. Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Soup's on. And now it's time for astrological advice from Twan, Queen of the Stars. 
Hi, Twan, Queen of the Stars here with the real dirt on what the constellations are up to and how you can read the signs before they read you. Okay, Aries, don't be such an old goat. If you're feeling all hot and bothered, you can blame it on the goddess of love. But if you're feeling something sharp between your shoulder blades, you might want to count Cancer's steak knives. Venus is in Aries through the middle of April and romance has the stars spinning. You'll find yourself bold, spontaneous, and willing to take a few romantic risks. If you're single, it's a great time to get involved with someone new. If you're in a relationship, you might just be able to talk that shy partner into trying that little experiment you got shut out on the last time you brought it up. And if you're friends with cancer, you just might find those secrets you confided in that treacherous crab all over town. Last week's full moon in Libra should enhance the influence of Venus, improving all your relationships and bringing balance to every aspect of your life. Now's the time to accept invitations, attend social gatherings, and give your charms a chance to shine. You'll be surprised at how far a smile and a kind word will take you, bringing reason and peace even to formerly prickly situations. Unless you're dealing with that crab Benedict Arnold, and then you'll just wind up with egg on your face and your most private thoughts on the internet. If you're redecorating, choose peaceful tones and tranquil textures to create a soothing and protective environment. As the moon begins to wane, donate old clothes or furniture to charity. And if you're looking for a way for everyone you've ever met to find out about that vacation romance you've managed to keep a secret since the 90s, just tell that sidestepping crab cancer and your most personal details will be Twitterfied. Thanks to Venus, luck favors the bold. Take a few romantic risks between now and mid-April. Just don't tell cancer about it. Till next time, this is Twan reminding you to watch out for the stars. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Soup, brought to you by your perpetually victimized gay brother. I will have you know that I am writing a play about all of you. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I want to give a note of congratulations to one of our listeners before I forget and we start talking about condoms again. Uh, Lee Willis Hughes posted on the page earlier this week, and this is a direct quote. I know it's not a massive news story, but my partner of 18 years and I have been approved as adopters in the UK and will hopefully know who our children will be in two weeks. Hooray. That's great news. That's a big story. He goes on to say, no surrogacy for us. We want to help the forgotten children, five to eight and siblings. We don't care if they are girls, boys or a mix or with problems. Keep on with the show. We love it. Ah, thank you very much, and congratulations. Yeah, that's actually wonderful. Now let, let's read all the because, amazing condom jokes on the page. Because this is the show to come to for uh, parenting skills. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Buffy Peterson has... Buffy Peterson has and her children a, are having a moment currently. a breakthrough in her parenting moment with the kids. But... Buffy, we read Buffy's comment on Facebook aloud over the show, and so her three boys got to hear her comment about female contraceptives as they were all sitting together in the living room. Which we, we assume created a whole new conversation. And we have very funny listeners. I love that everybody has taken the conversation in the direction of, 
what Microsoft would do if they were in charge. If they want, uh-huh. Apple, there's a call for um, Apple to actually get involved in the process. John Matheson says when you apply the condom, you get a pop-up message asking if you really want the condom to be applied. Whereas Regis Harden suggests that Microsoft condoms would not do anything about viruses. <laughs> that was actually John Matson with two T's, but uh, I'll oh, just did I get it wrong. Oh my God! As you do the heavy work of commenting, oh my God. I will correct you snidely from the corner chair. Uh, well, I'm going to go. I'm really going to. I'm going to apologize oh, yes. in advance. My gyar. I'm going to go with uh, Dore. Maybe Dore. Oh, that would be my Not best sure. guess. I, we apologize in advance, but we loved your comment and wanted to say something. We we would rather have a condom made by Apple, he said, designers, than <laughs> anything influenced by Microsoft. As I refuse to wait for two. Service packs before I can use it without crashing everything else. <laughs> Definitely a nerd condom joke. We have very funny listeners on the show. You guys should, uh, we'll have you write the routines next week and we'll just stay home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we also got a list of, well, it wasn't really a list. I've put them together into a list, but we got some amazing questions throughout the week. Uh, that uh, our listeners would like us to respond to. And here's my favorite one. And I'm going to surprise you, Eric, because I don't know if you've heard this yet. This is from Frank Lozier. He says, if you could write a sequel to any great work of literature, which one would you choose? Which? Which great work of literature would you choose? Well, does it? Uh, well, I don't know that people would consider it great, but I've always wanted to write a sequel to Gone with the Wind. Oh, okay. Well, and, you know there was one. Yeah, I'm not really counting did you, that. Did I'm, you read it? I'm going, I want to write an actual sequel to to Gone with the Wind. I, what I would like to do, I wouldn't write a sequel so much as I would like, I thought it would be interesting to follow generationally through the same family and their progress in in the South. I the the. The Civil War is such an enormous social influence in our country, and the effect of that on the South and the, to, to look at those effects as they played out in that family, to follow basically Scarlett O'Hara's offspring and Scarlett O'Hara as she went on. In the novel itself, Scarlett has more kids than just the Bonnie mm. Blue Butler, and there's there's more to carry on. Anyway, that's the one I would pick. I, I don't know that people would necessarily count that as great literature, but... If maybe in the, the the Latin sense, it's enormous. It's a gigantic book. So great, yeah. It's great in the sense of which which one would you? Pick? I don't have would an you? answer to this question. I think it's too hard. That's why I gave it to you. I see. <laughs> so any well, thoughts, I, Christopher? Listen, hey, listen. I have some big holes in my reading. You know, I recently, as you know, because you were there for me with, for the experience, I started a book club to try to get myself to read something other than horror novels and thrillers. And I think the book that did us in was. Are we going to say which book killed our book club on the air? Well, I don't know that we're going to say that the book <laughs> killed our book club. Our book club kind of killed itself. It but, was, yeah. There but was, it didn't help. It didn't help. It was J.K. Rowling's novel, The Casual Vacancy. We really we tried. We really it. tried. But we I, it was just it. too kitchen sink for me. It, I just, and it was, yeah. Anyway, I um, am not a fan of pedestrian realism and literary fiction, so I'm always trying to sort of make myself read stuff in that direction because I like the stakes to be high. I like there to be a lot of suspense, and I like there to be some form of monster that eats people. You know, I, I know you can't ask that out of every book. I but. just think it didn't need to be 10,000 pages. I think no. you could have covered that story. It, it was a lighter topic than, yeah, absolutely. than the material would have suggested. And it didn't re- Yeah. Anyway, anyway. I, I don't want to have that her. I love her. I read all of the Harry Potter books. And I, I think she's going to have to, you know, find her own new voice as she moves on from that. And 
my suggestion would be that might not have been it. Yeah, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. I think also I I don't like the idea, you know, Eric, you and I both got bent out of shape about the whole idea of pride and prejudice and zombies. You know, this idea of going back and raiding somebody else's. Oh, my God, that makes me else's. so yeah. angry. That, that book makes tiny flames right in my yeah. temples. I just makes me, that just made me crazy. That and the... Um, the vampire hunter, the Abraham Lincoln is an historical figure with a real relevance in our That's culture. And, and that, that, that whole to suggest that the Civil War was, a, I just, all of those things, but, but nothing made me angrier than Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. It's, yeah. it's like either right, it's sort of like people who are such crappy musicians that they just sample other people's songs mm-hmm. and then re-release them and call them their own. I just, it made me... Furious, And it right. makes me furious at publishing that really because no original works have been written that you guys could be published. I have, you know, a stack of unpublished books that I would be happy to talk with you about if you're actually so desperate for things to publish. Well, it's also the franchise classics. impulse in Hollywood. Like there is, and I will say this and I will keep saying it until the project dies or until it actually is released, there is an Easy Bake Oven movie in development because the an Easy Bake Oven is a more recognizable thing than a new property to these idiots. And, and so they're just going to keep pouring money at this and keep it in development year after year after year. And some writer in the lab at the studio is going to take a crack at, well, maybe it's about a girl with a magical Easy Bake Oven. What if you get called in? Would you write the Easy Bake if Oven I movie the if they money, called you in? If I needed the money to pay for your cookies that you act like you give me for free, <laughs> I would. Listen, I haven't answered this question. I know I haven't answered this question. I don't like the idea of it. I don't like the idea of writing a sequel to somebody else's work. I like doing what my mother did, which is reinventing something for a new age. And so I would I would probably look back over, as many other horror writers have done, over the classic uh, novels of dark suspense that we have, and I would see how they could be redone and reinvented, but not necessarily continued so directly, as directly as a sequel would require. Yeah, that's why I, even with the one that I was suggesting, it would I would take generationally continue that family rather than writing a sequel to Gone with the Wind itself, but right. literally just continue to. One of my, there's a book called London by an author called Rutherford or Rutherford Tun, I can't remember, yeah. That that follows the history of London through generation after generation of a number of families living mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's time for a word from one of our sponsors, but I, we do have a note on the page. Edward Kaufman, I don't know if you can hear us. You're complaining that you lost your audio. If you lose your audio, the thing to do is to close the player, refresh your entire browser, and then reopen the player. And that has worked for the majority of listeners when they experience a temporary but signal if loss. If you still don't have the audio, you'll never know we but said that. But if you're back and you lose the audio again, that is what you should do. And now it's time for a word from one of our sponsors. We grow tired of those from the land to the south, eh? Their cultural imperialism dominates every aspect of our lives, steals the brightest from our lands, and takes all our best hockey players. Cheers. Good evening. Une autre tuerie aujourd'hui au centre-ville, possiblement reliée à un groupe de terroristes. Aucun suspect ne Not that far away, where the people are reasonable and remarkably well-mannered, one man's destiny was to politely suggest an alternative. Bob, where are you going, eh? I'm 
going south to gain control of their soul-crushing imperialist armies of cultural dominion and bring them down from within. Music? No, Bieber and Buble have already triumphed over that sickly industry. I'm going for the Holy Grail. You don't mean. That's right. I'm going to be Jay's replacement. They were not content to live in the zillions of acres of pristine lands that had more or less fallen into their laps without so much as an argument, let alone a struggle. No, they wanted control of the angry, self-destructive, really, really rich tribe to the south. They were Canadians. You're so impatient, dude. Why not just wait for the production tax incentive trap to do its work? Eventually their television will all look like Vancouver and be so bad they'll stop watching. We figured since we filmed everything in Canada anyway, we might as well make a show about the place. Victory! Stop doing that, eh? Sorry. Canadians, coming this fall to the History Channel. We can't remember why we called it that either, but we're still doing better than the Learning Channel. Canadians, watch it if there's nothing better on. And I hear your answering echo so dear. Eric Charquin? Yes? I swear to God, you with the music selections? <laughs> what was that song? That, that was Slim Whitman. Have you never heard of Slim? They Not used outside to be, of a nightmare. I just think Slim Whitman, the yodeling cowboy. There was a, like a Ronco commercial they used to do of Slim Whitman's The Yodeling Cowboy. And they had all of these fun songs. And I just thought with it being about the Canadians, we had to do Canadian love songs. If song there's a listener out there on Facebook that <clears throat> suggested this song and Eric is protecting you right now, I will find you. I will find nope, you. This one's on me. I and will people find you. love people like it when we pick eclectic and eccentric music. I think some of it can be fun. People okay. also like it when I bitch at you for your eclectic and selective we wanted music to, choices. We, the, the, what? The, the, what? the Apple side, the, the PC side has weighed in <laughs> and the, the Apple PC <laughs> condom battle. Desiree Desiree Morton Gonzalez says, and the Apple condom will only be compatible with um, Apple lubricants. Oh, <laughs> if you're just joining us earlier in the broadcast, we were talking about the fact that Bill Gates is trying to fund inventors who will improve upon the condom, and the jokes have been flying ever since. But and if you're just joining us, we want to know where the hell you have been. We have been at this for 52 minutes and 28 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> and we'll be here for another hour, and then we repeat the show constantly, as I like to say, on our stream here. That sounds really marketable and appealing. The dinner party Endlessly. Show. You, you cannot get, get away, away from, from us. Oh. <laughs> anyway, now it's time for, oh, Lord, she's back. Relationship oh, advice with great. our maven of relationships. And she has a big anniversary coming up tomorrow. Okay, I can't wait to hear about it. It's always so refreshing to know that there's somebody in deeper denial than I am. Here she is. She's Ms. in a relationship. Uh -huh. Yeah, right. Miss <laughs> 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 Jonelle Sams. It's time once again for the Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle Sams. Hi, this is Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have a relationship question, you can send it to me, care of the Dinner Party Show's Facebook fan page, or at Jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Well, 
We have a first here on Homemade Relationship Advice this week. As you know, it's Be Our Guest Week on the Dinner Party Show, and that means it's all about you, the Dinner Party Show listeners. But that's always the case on Homemade Relationship Advice. Anyhow, I don't want to spoil your surprise, so I'll just read this week's listener letter, and you can see for yourself. <clears throat> Dear Jonelle, my partner and I have lived together for over 10 years, but have only been married for just about six months since New York State would allow us to. It seems that as soon as we tied the knot, my partner started going to the gym for what seemed like 12 hours a day. Now, I must admit that my partner has become really stacked. I guess that means he's very fit. Lands, how they talk in New York. Anyhow, he continues, but lately, Jonelle, Every time I try and give my partner a friendly pinch to get things started, I just get the cold shoulder. That isn't exactly what he said, but you get the idea. He goes on. What can I do to get the party going between us again? Please help me find the spark in my marriage. Thanks. Signed, living with a heavenly body in purgatory. Did you get it? That's right. I think he's gay. I saw on the news where New York has just recently started allowing gay people to get married to each other. So that's my guess. And good for them. We don't have any gay people in Poison Creek, so we don't need marriage equality laws here so much. But I hear there's lots of gay people up in New York. And I know there's a lot of controversy on MSNBC about gay people being able to get married. But I'll just say this. It seems to me that everyone is missing the point. For those of you who don't want gay people to have sex with each other, I think marriage is the perfect solution. Marriage is a lot like Christmas. Everyone's all excited about unwrapping the presents, but once they're unwrapped, the tree goes out by the curb and the wrapping goes in the fire. Once the presents are open, the party is over. You've got a perfectly good toaster oven, but you don't get up early to see it or even pay special attention when you put your toast in. You just enjoy your toast and get on with your day. Marriage is like that. Everyone's all nerves and excitement and anticipation, and then the honeymoon is over. Literally. So people who are opposed to gay people sleeping with each other in that honeymoon kind of way are wasting their time opposing gay marriage. Let them unwrap the presents and the party you keep calling the sheriff to complain about will be over. Myself, I'm in favor of marriage. Everyone's. It's a wonderful gift and I wish it for everybody. Tomorrow, April 1st, is my anniversary. Merle and I will be married for 23 blissful years. And yes, heavenly, the honeymoon is over. But cheer up, because once the honeymoon is over, everything else can begin. I'm not gay, so I don't understand what that means to you, heavenly. But I'm married, and trust me, after 23 years, I've got this one. First off, if you're sleeping next to a heavenly body after six months, let alone 10 years, you've got plenty to be thankful for. I can't still fit in my wedding dress and neither can Merle. We try to keep in shape. There's talk that a curves will be opening up where borders used to be down at Poison Creek Mall and the girls in my circle meeting group try to bring locale snacks when it isn't a church holiday. Recently, Merle and his best buddy Olson Lee Pugh did join up out at Body Works. It's a men's only fitness club that opened out on the state highway in the old auto body shop just outside of town. Body Works. 
Clever, huh? Those boys go out there all the time, and neither of them seems to have lost a pound, but they do seem to enjoy themselves, and they always come back in the best mood. So, if your partner is feeling good and in good shape, I think both of those are blessings you should remember in whatever kind of prayers you say at night. As to that spark, well, if you're looking for Christmas morning, maybe it's time to break out the Christmas wrap. Or better yet, head down to that gym and get a heavenly body of your own. I don't know if it'll put the spark back in your marriage or even give you a heavenly physique, but if you're anything like my Merle, you might just be in a better mood and not care nearly so much about when Christmas is coming again. The most important thing to remember about marriage, heavenly, is that it is about the long haul. With the joyous prospect of my 23rd anniversary looming, I can't begin to remember what Merle was up to six months in. I'm just thankful that you were able to get married in the first place, and I hope you'll be complaining about each other 22 and a half years from now. Because trust me, he'll get bored with that sports club and that body soon enough and come up with something that'll have you wishing he was back at the gym. Till next time, I'm Jonelle Sams with Homemade Relationship Advice. If you have relationship questions, write to Jonelle Care of the Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to Jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. Remember, if the marriage you're in today isn't what you'd hope for, just wait a few months. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The dish is served. And now, here in the studio, largely because I pretended to poison him a few weeks ago. You weren't pretending. It wasn't a real fumigation tent. I just dropped a tarp over the window. It was dangerous anyway. It almost made me have a heart attack. No, (laughs) the drugs that you're on almost made you have a heart attack. Anyway, as I was saying... Jordan, the cat goes back in the carrier now. Brittany Fabulous is not going to do anything. I gave her a Benadryl pop. What is a Benadryl pop? Hello, I thought you were smart. They're popsicles made out of Benadryl. Benadryl does not make popsicles. Oh, well, my best friend Fitzpatrick must make them because he has them all over his fashion lab in case he gets stressed. Let's see. Oh, so he's getting out of the crystal meth business. Jordan, cat, carrier, now. Look, it's not safe for me to leave Brittany Fabulous at home right now. Jordan, as long as you are the owner of that cat, that cat will never be safe. Do you not care about animals? I do. That's why I don't think you should own one. Can you focus, please? On what? You haven't done your job again. You're the critic at large, and you're talking about your cat and your poser friends. Should I focus on the fact that there's finally a polysyllabic word you're able to pronounce correctly? Brittany? Close. Benadryl. Uh, You should be asking me why it's not safe for my cat to be at home. All right, Jordan. Why is it not safe? I'm being cyberbullied. This ought to be Seriously, my Tumblr has been brutally cyberattacked by a hateful piece of shit who should clearly die in his own vomit. Well, now that you have accessed your sense of victimization, maybe you should tell us what is on your Tumblr that someone would want to attack. Well, my Tumblr blog is called Yip Yippee, and it is a collection of photos of fabulous boys with small dogs walking down the street. Who's walking who? I am walking right to the Trevor Project after what was done to me this weekend. (laughs) Like they don't have more important things to worry about. So, what was done to this 
fabulous blog that took you about 10 minutes I to create. I can't talk about it. It's too upsetting. Good. Then get out. Okay, someone took like a white cyber pen or whatever and used it Perez Hilton style on my Tumblr and turned all of the dogs into penises. But you love penises. Not on my Tumblr. Most of Tumblr is born. Not mine. Yip, yip, it's supposed to be a safe space free of penises and some awful scum-sucking piece of shit has ruined that for everyone. Or for the four people who went to your blog. I can't believe you're not taking this seriously. Aww. I listen to you get upset about all sorts of stupid crap on the show like Congress and the sequester and wars that are totally far away. Jordan, this isn't cyberbullying. Cyberbullying is a concerted effort by multiple individuals to intimidate, threaten, and demean a person over time with repeated attacks on them that can include lies, hate speech, and threats to their physical well-being. What happened to Yippee Skippy this weekend? No, it's Yippee Yippee! Whatever. What happened to your penis-free blog was most likely a prank carried out by someone you shouldn't have slept with. Um, excuse me. I don't need to be hamstrung by mainstream heteronormative. Right. I am not hamstrung by heteronormative conventions Mm. around sexuality. I have a non-monogamous view of relationships. Only the relationships you're not in. So what you're implying is that I wasn't cyberbullied this weekend? I'm not implying it. Jordan, I'm saying it. So it's safe for me to leave my cat at home when I'm not there? The more distance between you and that animal, the better. Okay, well, thanks for clearing that up. I'm going to go now. Okay, well, thanks again for whatever this is, Jordan. Uh-huh. Come on, Brittany Fabulous. It's time for Froyo. Goodbye, Jordan. Yeah, uh-huh. Goodbye. <sighs> that was a close one. That ought to keep the little jackass in the dark, huh? I knew it was you. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Get him, Brittany. Fabulous. Get him. Jordan, knock it off and get your goddamn head off me. Get him off. Get, get off. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Dish, brought to you by your mother, Mistress of Guilt. <sighs> Okay. Go ahead and step on my foot. Why would I need to walk anywhere? I haven't been anyplace nice in years. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. Michael Minch has a question on the page that I share. Why wasn't Jordan at the white party? Did you guys do that report earlier in the week? Yeah, no, that was a pre-record. I, Justin Simpson apparently said he was the loudest oh, one at okay. the pool yesterday. So, Oh, that's right. He's going to do a report from yeah. the white party for next week. We actually that's have right. a remote set up. How, yeah. how did that go? Did you do, guys do that already? You know what? I, you'll just have to wait and find out. Uh, it's. I would say. You know what? I would say that probably it's going to be just what you'd expect from Jordan and less. All right. All right. Well, the white party is kind of his element. Yeah. You know. Okay. Well, we have, uh, speaking of Justin, who said he spotted Jordan at the white party, he has a question for us about the world of self-publishing or what we should really call e-publishing. He says, I finished my first novel on January 12th, 2013. It's called Christopher. (laughs) Oh, Uh, The unauthorized biography. (laughs) 
Uh, no relation to the dinner party show host, I swear. Okay, fine. Uh, well, then never mind. So we won't be talking about it. Thank you, Justin. For, no, I'm just kidding. Um, he's thinking of self-publishing because it seems like the big publishing houses want you to have some sort of publishing history to begin with. Uh, I know the topic of self-publishing has been talked about before on the show, he writes. So if this is of no use to you guys as a discussion topic, we can throw it out the window and I'll keep looking for more things to bring up. No, I think it's very uh, useful. The synopsis of his novel sounds very interesting. It's when an up-and-coming New York City artist, Aaron Anders, makes an abstract painting which includes adding DNA to the mix of paint from a seductive young man named Christopher. Night gallery. The painting receives massive attention when it goes up for bid at Sotheby's, and Christopher is reported missing at the same time, making the painting a possible crime scene and Aaron a suspect. Ooh, that sounds good. Very interesting. Very cool. You brought your novel, Say Uncle, out as an ebook on your own. You did Absolutely. it independently. Absolutely. I'm in the process of doing it with my first novel, A Density of Souls. Yeah, there were some people who asked about why do we have negative, and we do not have. I think there has been a stigma about it for a long time, and I think those days are over. I think that with the rise of Amazon and the rise of e publishing, I think that content is becoming the more powerful aspect of the publishing business. For years, the people who were in charge of distribution, publishers, right. have had the upper hand in that field. But I think that the marketplace and the creators of content themselves are going to be much more in control of how this process works as all of these new mediums. I, I think it's a very exciting time in publishing. It is a very exciting time. And I, I want to say, too, that one of the reasons there was in a particularly bad stigma around self-publishing immediately prior to the ascendancy of Amazon and eBooks is that most of the self-publishing houses out there were charging you money. They were at, it was a, it was like a racket. Yeah, kind of. They were saying, "Pay us to publish your book," and the deals were very shady. And the reality of it is that your books were not going to be carried in the major retailers. No, they were just going to ship you boxes of books, and you could, and even that was, uh, you know, not ter You could go to. Uh, uh, conventions book or book and, festivals right. and actually sell your books yourself. And but the promises about where you would be for sale were very, very vague and murky and shady. And then along there came Kindle. There weren't any places. And then along came Kindle yeah. and Amazon and everything changed. And I think everything changed because everybody started buying e-readers. If they hadn't bought e-readers and there hadn't been the market for it, I, I'm not sure Amazon would have gone into the business of creating this platform. But you brought Say Uncle out. Say Uncle is available for sale as an e-book in our store. I'm in the process of doing it with the density of Souls. I had the decision um, to sell those ebook rights to a traditional publisher, but the idea of keeping 75% of every copy that I sell was very attractive to me. The idea of putting new material in, in the form of an introduction or an afterword, which is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to change the content of the novel. Some people do do that, though. Um, all of that was very attractive very to George me. Very George Lucas. I know, right? Updating it and right. putting in cell phones and Pissing texting. Pissing all the fans off. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, so that's why it's attractive to me. And, you know, I, I'm still – you've done it. I'm, I'll let you know how it goes, Justin. It's going to be an experiment I, for I me. I think it is an evolving world, but in very much the same way as I, the iPod, the iPod right. changed the music industry. I think the e-reader, the, the notion of, of content being available for distribution in a completely different way is right. going to change the industry itself. So I, I think it's very exciting. I think pub, traditional publishing is going to find its own role in this. I don't think it's going away, but I think – 
that it's going to migrate into something other, I hope, marketing. I think ultimately, as Justin said, what they were looking for was people with publishing experience. What they're really looking for is people with an audience. Mm-hmm. What publishers, just like what networks or uh, music industry companies uh, pay for is they pay for your audience. If you have an audience, Christopher and I are doing a radio show kind of for that reason. We're mm-hmm. trying to build an audience for just the same uh, just the same sort of publishing purposes. And then, as you can see, there is a store on the page. We're actually selling the books and our works right here and uh, featuring those of our guests. But uh, And I believe there was a big conversation that happened about this on our Facebook page this week between Buffy Peterson and Samiko and Justin because a lot of this, w- what you should know is that if you do publish on these platforms, you will still be in charge of your own marketing. Oh, yeah. And that's about 60%, if not 70% of the battle is this new term. It's called discoverability. And there are there are new ways to get people to review, but some of them are, again, about purchasing reviews and are sort of weird. So you have to become your own publicist. But I think that's what all authors are having to do across the board is become their own publicist, you know. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I think go into it, but go into it with your eyes open. And I think definitely go into it with the attitude of, yes, you are establishing a track record of, at the very least, grooming a product for release in front of the market. I don't think it's necessary to bust out of the gate being Fifty Shades of Grey, but I think it is worth noting that Fifty Shades of Grey had sold an enormous amount of copies as an independently published ebook before Random House ever snatched it up. Right. That's the audience that we're talking about. And I think the same was true of that Eat, Pray, Love was a blog, right? And the Julia and Julia. I think there were a lot... You, if you go out and find your audience, every... You know, <laughs> Me and Julia. I think Julia and Julia is a Kathleen Turner film from the... Early eighties. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I think it was actually. Um, uh, what was? It? I think it was one of the uh, Richardson girls, or maybe it was. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Julia Natasha and Julia. Richardson. Now it was her mom. Uh, oh my uh, God, she was oh. Guinevere in Camelot. She was uh, Vanessa. Vanessa Redgrave. Redgrave. One of the Redgrave girls. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Not the Red- Richardson girl. It's one of the Redgrave girls, confused. and maybe Jane Fonda. Julia and Julia. Am I getting that wrong? We'll, we'll ask one of our listeners. Is sure to post a, a direct link to the most obscure Julia and Julia fan site they can find on the web because but you know any, it's out there. In any case, the the point is is that we're we're here doing exactly the same thing, and I think it's I, I don't know that this is the right answer, but this is the answer we came up with. In fact, um, your mom actually asked us to talk about some of the origins for the show. So maybe um, next round in the next yes, quarter, we can absolutely. come back and talk about how the need for marketing our own work actually was one of the reasons that inspired us among many to uh, start doing this crazy thing we call the dinner party Absolutely. Show. But in the meantime, it's time for a word from one of our sponsors. We have a problem in our country and there's only one solution. Proposition 9 needs your support. Prop 9 declares that marriage is a sacred state-supported union and tax filing status between two non-Mormons. Mormons are a minority who believe stuff that most of us don't believe. Unlike homosexuality, Mormonism is a choice and not one most of us make. Most important, Mormons apparently believe that the majority should be able to vote away the rights of minorities. So we are going to take them at their word and vote away their rights. That's what Prop 9 is all about. Let's be clear. We think that being able to vote away people's rights is not only a terrible idea, but probably unconstitutional. 
for some reason that isn't already obvious, Prop 8 and DOMA are still on the books. And radical, anarchist jerks pretending they are conservatives are still acting as though either might be a good idea. Help us make it clear just how stupid laws and propositions aimed at depriving minorities of their civil rights are and take away Mormons' marriage rights in the bargain. Vote for Prop 9. It's not a good idea, but it's their idea, not ours. Paid for by the committee who can't understand why this isn't already obvious and can't think of any other way to make it clear what a stupid and indefensible idea this really is. It's Julie and Julia. Julie and Julia. Justin Simpson to the rescue. Always Justin Simpson to the rescue. Okay, we have a question on tap from Buffy Peterson, who we mortified oh earlier in the evening. Oh, my God. What, now can, how can we embarrass you in front of your kids now, Buff? Actually, it's time to embarrass you, Eric. Her question is, since Christopher answered this oh, question great. already during the interview with his mother, Eric, what was the worst thing you did as a child? Well, I don't know that I should be the person answering that question, because I'm sure they're my victims. <laughs> uh, speaking have, of your victim, we had a conversation with her uh, last week. It was her birthday. It was your mother's birthday. My mom's birthday was this week. Happy birthday, Mom. Happy she birthday, Miss Jeannie. She actually liked what I got her for her birthday this year. I'm That's so good. Greatly relieved. Way to go, Lassitan. <laughs> what did she say? She said, you two can just go on and on and on and you on just forever. forever. <laughs> and she's right. She once said... Uh, Eric is a novelist because nobody could possibly listen to everything that he has to say, so he has to write a lot of it down. (laughs) (laughs) She's the best. Anyway, I, you know, like, there's the obvious choice. Apparently, when I was very young, I, um... I watered the living room. Oh, yeah. I came in through the sliding glass door with the hose, hosed down the living room. I'm sure there was great um, gnashing of teeth and rending of garments. They got everything all put back together, and then I did it again. You did it more than once? I did it more than once, yeah. So that that would certainly count. I, I think the thing to me that has always seemed like I've had this voice since I was like eight years old. Mm Say People used thing. to think I was my grandmother when I answered the telephone. And what did you like to do when you were eight years old? I used to like to sit around and talk about stuff. And sit have around and coffee. drink coffee, and at, drink the, coffee. at the kitchen table and talk I about stuff. I had to coach my favorite I just line think out of you, but you didn't I go there. really okay. was very much this person, like right along, and I think it must have been very disturbing. Mm-hmm. I think of what it must have been like to have this little eight-year-old person, so come like in a little eight-year-old B author and in basically a boy's suit, be me. You know, right. come in and 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 it's. I just think that. To me, that would seem the most disturbing. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, and maybe some of it seemed like prodigy, but I think some of it must have just been weird. Kind of just like an eight-year-old Elaine Stritch. Yes, yeah. absolutely. In that a little sort hoodie, of, in a that little hooded kind of, sweater. Right. So yeah. a little, I had a red hoodie. Yeah. little red riding hood. I had red cowboy the ladies boots. who lunch in the cafeteria, I'm yeah. sure. I could recite poetry. Mom says that when I was six months old, she could hold me up because I couldn't sit up on my own and I would recite the poems that she had read to me, which I just think sounds kind of frightening. It it, it, it doesn't sound frightening. It is frightening. 
Like, it's completely I, a terrifying. A six-month-old baby saying, the owl and the pussycat the went to see and then beautiful yeah. be. Probably my voice hadn't quite turned into this, like, but I don't know. Maybe it I was this. Know. Anyway, so, the you know, the on the face of it, the answer seems to be watering the living room. But I think maybe Mm-mm. it may have been more like that episode of uh, The Twilight Zone with Billy Mummy where it's, it's a good thing that he put the cow in the cornfield or whatever it was. You know, that weird. No, what are you talking about? That's that weird episode of, of, of Twilight Zone where where everything the boy wishes for comes true and everybody lives in complete terror of him. Every oh, day is his birthday. And- I, well, that, yeah, right. That They adapted that for the film version of The Twilight Zone, which they did in the early 80s. And I always called the kid Kevin, but it's probably Billy. But yeah, no, I love it. And the sister's in the room with no mouth and she's forced to watch TV. Yeah, that, it, I yeah. just, I figure it was, you know, obviously I didn't have special powers, but there was a certain quality of having the 40-year-old, 8-year-old in the room. <laughs> I think must have thrown people off a little the bit. The forty-year-old, eight-year-old Eric Shawkland. That's right. Excellent. Well, I, I, Buffy, I hope we answered your question to your satisfaction, and we I certainly hope talked that about that, it long enough. That answer didn't cause and any my discord shirt with is your son. scrambled egg color, and his shirt is the color of scrambled eggs. And now we bring you a very special excerpt from a very special podcast. We we like to occasionally go around and and, and uh, cherry pick what other people are doing in the world of podcasts, and this is what we picked for you. This, this was more of a persimmon than a cherry, I think. Well, we'll let them decide, okay? Why don't we stay out of it, okay? Thanks. Here on The Dinner Party Show, we love to keep you in touch with the latest and greatest in the wide world of podcasts. That's why this week we're bringing you an episode of Largely Unedited, the official podcast of The New Yorker magazine. Hello, I'm Dorothy Wallace Craven, Deputy Managing Editor of Intimidating New Web-Related Ventures here at The New Yorker that no one else on staff can quite figure out yet. I've gathered some of our best and most long-winded writers to discuss their articles in this week's issue of The New Yorker. Joining me to parse his 50,000-word exploration of the potential foreign policy implications of Afghan beekeepers who were displaced to Pakistan during the Soviet invasion is Henrik Clodhopper, and I'd like to begin by asking him to take his hand off my thigh. Oh. Oh, dear, quite sorry. Do forgive me, Dorothy. Uh-huh. Also with me today in the studio, which doubles as our break room, is humorist Edward Weinstein, who in this issue wrote a highly satirical take on Washington's political scene from the point of view of a hypothetical flea who has been traveling on President Obama's shirt collar since his most recent inauguration. I have to say, I managed to read the first ten pages last night, Edward, and your typical acerbic wit was on display for almost all of them. Thanks a lot, Dorothy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Henrik, let's start today's four-hour discussion with you. What ramifications do you see for relations between Pakistan and Afghanistan in today's social status of displaced Afghan beekeepers? Well, it's quite interesting, you see. If you look at the ramifications of them prior to the displacement and then you compare them to their ramifications now after the displacement, one can assemble a reasonable facsimile of new ramifications for tomorrow, which say much about future ramifications, should there be another displacement, or perhaps no displacement at all. Which is not to say we don't include in any of these ramifications or facsimiles of same the status of the bees to which I devoted a great deal of time in the piece. Indeed, you spent so much time on the bees, it seemed around page 45 as if you were actually writing from their point of view, Mm. or attempting to write from their point of view. Well, each bee seems to have its own personality, and it was quite a challenge 
whittling it down, if, if you will, and just picking 13 or 14 bees to explore in the bees. So you didn't really whittle them down at all, did you? <laughs> oh, no, of course not. That's not what we do here at The New Yorker. I see. Mr. Weinstein's piece, which I mentioned earlier, was written from the point of view of a hypothetical flea traveling on President Obama's shirt collar. Would you say your two pieces are similar? Oh, no, absolutely not. I'm not a satirist at all and don't pretend to be one. No offense, Mr. Weinstein here, who seems to have perhaps nodded off. Are you awake, Edward? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bees. Gotta love them. Ha ha! I'm funny! Yes, indeed. Oh, my. Edward does appear tired. Was he signed to one of those 35-year contracts by Tina Brown? I believe so, yes. Don't talk about me like I'm not here, Henrik. Well, you're not, really, are you? And the flea in my piece is actually traveling on the president's necktie, not his shirt collar. Do your homework, Dorothy. I would if it hadn't taken me the last four days to read half of this week's issue, which only included the first third of your piece, Edward. Hmm. Yeah, well, for the really funny stuff, people should just follow me on Twitter. Nobody there gives me the editorial directive to put people to sleep. My dear boy, you do sound as if you haven't been at the New Yorker very long at all. Well, I've spent most of my time here napping, so maybe... The goal of our esteemed publication is not to put people to sleep. Rather, it's what we senior writers and editors refer to as AISF. I'm not sure I've heard of this one myself, Henrik. Oh, but you have, dear girl. You most certainly have. I want to Smith, Henrik, get your hand off my thigh unless you want to lose it. Yes, of course. AISF stands for the Accumulation, Insecurity, and Superiority Factor, and it's been the driving force behind this great publication for years. Do explain, Henrik. Absolutely. The I stands for the sense of inferiority we inspire in our subscribers as subsequent issues accumulate, there's the A, in piles on their kitchen counters and beside their toilets. Our relationship to our readers takes wing on that fatigued sigh they admit when they open their mailbox to find that yet another issue has densely packed as a Russian novel has arrived on their doorstep when they still haven't even managed to conquer the most recent ten. Where does the superiority part come in? Apparently you haven't been listening to Henrik for the past 40 minutes. Indeed. But the S in AISF actually represents the aura of superiority subscribers project with those very same piles of our magazine that can inspire a sense of inferiority in them. Several hundred issues of The New Yorker, stacked in a prominent location in one's home, can send the message to friends and relatives, I am smarter than you and I have the Patience of Joe. Oh, bite me, Henrik. Most people just read Talk of the Town and toss us in the trash. Don't forget the cartoons. No, 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 no. The goal is not to be remembered, my dears. It is to be the only magazine on earth that is feared and worshipped by those for whom it is written and not those about whom it is written. Indeed. And now we break for some risk-free, middle-of-the-road jazz music that only appeals to wasps. When we return, three hours and 45 more minutes of deep discussion on just about everything Henrik has written. What are you doing, Edward? Tweeting. It keeps me awake.
listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for dessert. Brought to you by your sister's new husband who's had way too much wine. I mean, everybody's cheated at least once, right? I, I, I mean, am I right? The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. Frank Lozier, thank you. Earlier in the show, I don't think you were able to be with us, Frank. Uh, we were talking about how one of the members right? of ABBA had come I out with a solo album. I actually heard the song earlier, yeah. Yes, and we're gonna, are we going to pronounce her name right? Agnetha Faltsong is the name of the woman. So I believe the answer is no. We're probably not going to pronounce her name right. I have <laughs> no idea, but yeah, she's the... Uh, they call was, her Aggie. Aggie. Yeah, Aggie. Yeah. You know, little, little Aggie from Sweden. Aggie Abba. Absolutely, Aggie Abba. So thank you. We, I have not heard the song. Eric it was actually quite the good. They played it on the radio the other day, uh, the other morning, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of it, but anything more from them, I love ABBA so much. I do too. Almost as much as I'm loving all these chocolate bunnies that we've just been devouring Almost as much here. as I'm loving all the wonderful questions from our loyal listeners on Facebook. Here's the thing. We should talk about this now before I forget. We need an affectionate nickname for our listeners, and I'm going to propose Dinner Partiers. But we are open to suggestions oh, I like from that. dinner partiers. Our partiers. Our, our partiers, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, dinner crack whores is not, doesn't have the same ring to it. Party liners. Party liners. <laughs> Pan, <laughs> dinner pantyhose. I, I don't whatever. I lost the joke. Anyway, so we're putting that out there. Post your suggestions oh, you on mean, the like page. Panty liners. Did, I just don't know. Party Does liners. Even wear pantyhose anymore? I stopped like four years ago. Well, and it, because they just didn't make them for people as tall as you. I know. There was always a run. There was, I had to, I had to, st- <laughs> I had the crotch to, was right in between I had your to knees. get a cigarette lighter and melt two pairs together to sort of get them to go all the way up my legs because I'm seven feet tall, as right. Eric likes to really say. gigantic. It's finally time for us to answer a question from my mother. Eric and Christopher, my beloved geniuses, she writes, Aw. What about talking on the show more about how you came to do it? What gave you the idea Our and what you found you were up against? topic. And why you went it alone, creating your own free, inter- independent internet radio show with your own charming and tasty studios in West Hollywood. Yum. Uh, and also talk about the growth of the show and what we might look forward to. This dovetails with another question from Michael Verratti, who says, I'm curious to know if the dinner party show embarked on a grand adventure, what would it be? Would it be a movie like A Prairie Home Companion or a Showtime series like This American Life? So it's all about our dreams and our unbridled ambition. Tonight, and I think Eric it also leads right out of what we were talking about earlier from Justin's question and uh, Buffy talking about the way in which um, – Writers are having to find a new way to reach their readers. Absolutely. To, uh, to what was it you called it? I was trying to remember the term. The reachability, discoverability, factor, the is discoverability. The term because it's it isn't the same as marketing, where the channels are few and acknowledged, and it's what you put, how much money you spend to push your product through those channels. This is about being part of a very big pile and being found. You know, it can feel like you're a needle in the haystack, but there's certain things you can do to sort of try to move to the top of the stack. I think what's attractive about it is is the the widening of the market, if you will, the incorporation of here, demographics here. that are usually ignored because they're not 18 and they don't think they're going to buy everything they see it, on TV. It, it's sort of like when they when uh, they they started counting uh, record sales in a different way. For years and years, they counted record sales 
I think kind of the way they counted publishing. And so they had a picture of what they thought was the number one, what they were selling. And then they introduced something called SoundScan where they actually began looking at actual sales as the way they counted. And they discovered that country music was like this gigantic Mm -hmm. leviathan that nobody was really paying any attention to. And I think that that may be what I hope that's what happens in publishing that they will discover. I, I think it's the Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, factor. You know, people are reading stuff that maybe people aren't really aware of because Mm -hmm. publishing has imposed its own taste for whatever reason, for good or for bad, that they have to pick something and they have to have some way in which they pick it. And Mm -hmm. that has ruled out, consequently, everything else. Whereas the new marketing model is whatever the market wants is what the market will have. Right. And there are some people who are afraid of that because they think it will mean only Fifty Shades of Grey all the time. But I don't agree. I think it creates space and it creates room for different things. And I think what we're seeing that So the hell with some people. You know, the hell with them. The hell with them and their fear. (laughs) Fear is fuck everything and run. That's what it stands for. Anyway, no, but I think it creates, uh, like, I think we're seeing horror have a resurgence on Amazon. Whereas a lot of people said if you call something a horror novel in the publishing marketplace, that's it. Like the passage by Justin Cronin, they would not let him call that a horror novel. I don't know if they said that to him directly, but I was told that none of the marketing referred to it as a horror novel, even though it was this epic Stephen King uh, apocalyptic vampire right. tale. Or your recent discovery of gay romance as a yeah. as a, 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 a complete genre that's having its own because it has a market out there and people are actually reading it and they can find it because they're interested in it and not yeah. the other way around. But let's get to the let's get back to the question but why the, did we choose to do this and it's really my fault I think. I love being on the radio and I love doing radio interviews and I was invited to be on a show that broadcasts out in Palm Springs called the Bulldog Bill Feingold show and they were doing a stand up which is what they call it when a radio show does a remote broadcast from a like a public place or a restaurant uh-huh. and they invited me to go be on the show and I just wouldn't leave. They couldn't get rid of me. I mean, we were having a great time. I think we were having a great time. Maybe they wanted me out of there. But they invited me back to guest host. And so I thought, well, I can't do this on my own. So I'm going to have Eric call in from West Hollywood. I called you the mouth of West Hollywood. And we, Which is kind of fraught when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> fraught with what? Well, I just That's think that the combination of those two concepts may make— Buffy cre- Peterson would like to know, what is Eric's mouth fraught with? No, Maybe people are keeping—yeah, it might yeah. give people the wrong impression. I think he meant the big mouth of West Hollywood, but just the, the same. Mouth. Anyway, you were great, and I was great, and whatever, and I, and I got a taste for it. <laughs> we were brilliant. We were brilliant. Everybody was very moved, as we— like to the say. snake people really just couldn't <laughs> stop talking about us. Right. Um, and then these internet driven radio stations started cropping up here in LA, and a lot of our friends were involved in them, and we started talking about what? Why are you laughing? I just had this picture of people getting the anti radio station spray. It keeps <laughs> cropping up. We've sprayed it, and we've burned it, and we've tried cutting it back, and they just keep coming back. Do you remember when you said to me that time I was at your house and you had the New Age station on, not very loud and it sounded like tinkling in the background and I said are those wood nymphs Eric and you were like yeah I sprayed last week but the nymphs they just come back and back 
<laughs> anyway, um, that got him in the sound booth. That's always good when we wake him up. Yeah, I always, I, my entire world exists in a 50s TV commercial. You accuse me of being from a movie in the 40s because occasionally I will just take a drive. And you will ask me, when, I'm the, going to take a drive. Right, he does this just because he enjoys driving. If you've driven in Los Angeles, you'll understand my bafflement. Hey, listen, the drives that I take are late at night, and they're like 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, and I go over the canyons when there's nobody on them. Because traffic gets great around here at late at night. It does. If you ever went out of the There's house just after less. six, you would know. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> anyway, back to our origin story. Right. Uh, so we I explored the internet radio station idea and decided it was something that we wanted to do on our own. We didn't necessarily, we wanted to do only our own show, but we wanted to have our own space. We were told that the, that it was just a few computers <laughs> and some microphones. Yes, I always say at this part <laughs> in the story that fortunately we had no idea oh, what God. that would have in, that involved or we would never have done this. If we had known oh, what, was in, what was ahead of us, but because we only discovered it one horrible thing at a time... I, yeah, over we the course of a year. Right. Over and the then, course of a year. Eventually, we were so far out on the limb, we couldn't really go back anymore. And I, I'm not sorry. I mean, I love doing the show, but yeah, it, it has it been. It was dealing primarily with contractors and electricians. We just, we didn't know what soundproofing was. Or I should say, I didn't know. I thought, oh, we'll put some egg crate styrofoam up on the wall and we'll be golden. Right. And, and then we'll just, you know, plug it into the phone line and we'll start talking and the show will be on the and air. And we're such fancy queens. Everyone was like, well, why not just do it in your living room with a computer? It was like, we're not going to do it in my living room. We're going to, Eric has light fixtures he's already picked out, and we want to upholster stuff and go to old antiques. Oh, my God. So, um, but, you know, a year later, after we started the Facebook page, 25 years later, 25 years later, we opened the Dinner Party Show studio in West Hollywood, and we will be selling Eric's cookies out of it for years to come <laughs> to pay off all the soundproofing. I and, know, Jesus. And uh, electronic equipment that we've installed. But honestly, I, I have to say, Everything we've done since that first show, none of it has been as challenging as that no. developmental period. No, it was as though we had to invent radio, and then we went on the air. Like after, so it, and because being on the air was what we wanted to do, it's also been more fun since and the first absolutely. show started. But we were also committed to doing a live show, which a lot of people were like, "Why are you doing a live show?" Uh, they thought you should just put up a podcast, which can be done very easily. And we wanted to do that, and we use a company called SecureNet, which is basically what they do is they provide the internet component for a lot of terrestrial we radio stations. But we are radio using them. Station. Yeah, we, we have, have our, call letters. We are we are TDPS. We are our own radio station. Absolutely. So one one of the things that she asked, I believe, as part of the question, was you know where we saw this going, and maybe other characters from the show will have right. their own shows. And somebody else asked, well, I would love to do. I would love to take this to. Showtime or one or HBO or something, and do one of those Tracy takes on mm. Little Britain kinds of shows where we create some of these characters for the cameras and right, actually right. get them up on their feet. I, We've Eric and I go back and forth about. I personally would like to create something inspired by his interactions with Jordan Ampersand, and we've talked about should that be animated and. We thought maybe Jordan can best be portrayed through puppetry. That's I the think idea that may be the towards. best. I just think that seems yeah. genius. Anyway, so, you know, those kinds of things, uh, getting it. But I think underlying it all, ultimately we would keep the show, we would keep the, the radio show going and the website because one of our big objectives in all of this was creating the the space where we could bring our products, our books and the, the things that we create uh, to listeners and to people who are interested in hearing 
as my mom says it way more than we could possibly listen to. She said, oh, you guys just go on and on forever. On and if on. I went on that long, people would get bored. But you all aren't. I, th- I hope. I hope they're here, not. Right? No, people what they're are still all commenting. doing is they're suggesting uh, names for themselves as a group. Oh, yes. What, what Mom, are, what's uh, going on? Okay. The Gentle Eaters. Nick Griffith says, I'm all for Gentle Eaters. Uh, Henry Valdez says, The Hungry Gang. Um, okay. <laughs> John Matson says, Dinner Party Critics. Okay. And Desiree Morton Gonzalez says, Party Crashers. Then she party says, no, nah, I don't know, but I, I kind of like that. Dinner party critics. Jody Rose, who didn't know if she liked us earlier in the evening. We're glad you're still here, Jody. She's saying diners, patrons, or spoons. There's something about spoons that I like. The dinner party show All right, spoons. spoons. All right, spoons. Hello. Sp- good evening, spoons. Little spoons. The Sundayers. There's a lot of good ideas, and we will look them over and then decide on what we want because it's our show. Right? I love this picture from MASH of The Last Supper. That's so brilliant. I love that, Michael. Absolutely. Okay, so we do have another question that we had talked about answering. There she is. There's the song. Eric, Frank actually posted Eric, the song. Yes, I'm sorry. Focusing? I'm focusing on our, li- our, our gentle listeners. I think we have enough time left in the show to cover this. For Christopher and Eric, how hard was it to come out of the closet, and at what age did you make the decision? This is from Buffy Peterson's son, Sean. So, who is, I hope, has found that garden hose and is hosing down the living room now. Buffy said he was inspired by my story of watering childhood hijinks. Right. Sorry, Mom. All right, Eric, you go first. I, you know, I, I, I have always felt really kind of a little unusual about the this question because I wasn't really a closeted person. I, I grew up in small towns in the South, so there was no parades and I didn't have a banner or a T-shirt or anything. But there was never a period in my life where I tried to present myself as a straight person. There wasn't that sort of closeted. So as a result, there isn't that sort of delineation. Um, I told my parents at some point in high school, um, just as a point of clarification as much as anything so that uh, they would understand me better, came out to a teacher in high school who at the time said, probably don't tell everybody, but, mm. you know, I'm glad you told me. And then I had somebody to confide in there. I, I just sort of, I didn't say necessarily, but I didn't, I didn't try and present a different front. So there wasn't a moment that I really came out. The thing that I always uh, talk about the most with this is when Say Uncle, when my first book came out, there was a like a, a Sunday supplement color picture in the state newspaper in Columbia, South Carolina. I was going home for a, a book signing, you know, gay author returns. And I thought, well, for those mm. people who didn't know that this pretty much takes the question out. But the, when the book came out, I stopped editing myself. There was a, there was, there was, there's like after the book, like there was no point in pretending anymore not that I was pretending to be something that I wasn't, but I might leave something out or I might not include details or I might not be as open about uh, in social settings. And and after the book, it was in the, you know, it was on the cover of the hometown newspaper. There's nobody to really be sheltered from this. I stopped worrying about whether or not other people were comfortable with my truth. So that really, that's kind of my coming out story. It wasn't really a particular, I guess I was... 30-something by the time that happened, by the time the book came out. But there was never really a time when I wasn't out of the closet, I think is the long and the Mm. short answer. So that's a terrible answer to your question, Sean, but I'm a novelist and 
So I, you know, naturally there's three chapters and okay, uh, an unexpected, an unexpected resolution. How about you, Christopher? When when did you come out? I of the came closet? out at the age of 18 to my family and began coming out to most of my friends. I really truly believed I was bisexual throughout throughout high school. I really hung on to that belief. I thought it was a phase. You I actually the, had sexual I had relationships sexual with relationships women. with women. I, I had never sex did. with many women after I came out. Um, I really. I just didn't believe that I was going to go all one way until I was with a man for the first time. And I went, okay, this is it. This is the thing. <laughs> How old is Sean? Is he still listening? Anyway, the um, he asked. Uh, it was it was a f- romantic feelings for an individual that led me to come out. Yeah. I had started dating this boy who I just thought was the cutest thing ever, and he was going to be a lawyer. And we met at a gay bar in the French Quarter, and it was a dance club, so technically we could get in at eighteen, even though we weren't supposed to be drinking. But it was New Orleans, so we were. And uh, he was going to be my big boyfriend, and I came out to everyone while we were vacationing in Italy and announced that I wanted to go home early to be with him. And they said, that's great, but you can't go home early to be with him. This is your senior trip, and we're all here because of you. And there are only three days left in the trip, you little drama queen, so calm down. And then I finally went home, and he dumped me. He dumped me like a week later. The boyfriend he had been with before came back in town. His plans to have become a world-famous poet in London had fizzled somewhere around Orlando. Yeah. And so he broke my heart. It's such a long walk to London. And I wrote a really unflattering depiction of him in my first novel, which he, you know, was upset about. But we've moved past it. So that was really it. (laughs) Until now when you brought it up on the radio. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I don't think he's actually listening to my show. I said to him the other day, are you listening to my show? And he said, well, if you go on Facebook and look at the pictures of my remodeled house, um, maybe I'll listen to your show. And I was like, "Okay." So I clicked like on the photos. But that was how it that was how it went. But coming out, I think, for a period of your life is a continual process, particularly if you come out at that age, because I then went to college and there was a moment in college where nobody knew me. Nobody knew anything about me. They didn't know who my mother was. They didn't know anything. And that was actually a moment that inspired my second book, The Snow Garden, which centers largely on a character who completely creates a false identity for himself at the school. Because I had that blissful moment of thinking, wow, I could say anything. Nobody right? It was sort of early internet no days. History. There was no Facebook even, you know, because I went to college so long ago. But <laughs> in that moment, I chose to come out again and again and again and again. So it's not something I feel like that you just do once and in, and you get it all over with. There's a period of your life that's sort of devoted to it. And uh, Yeah, no, I can never... relate to that. I, I, that's the book thing that I'm talking about, that point where you stop. I remember Chaz Bono talking about it, that 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 spending so much of your life worrying about other people being comfortable with who you are and getting to a place where it's like, you guys are going to have to deal with who I am and I have to be comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a comment on the page. Samiko Salson says you should totally go to SNL because I don't think they have an openly gay cast member yet. They do, actually. It's Kate McKinnon is openly yes, gay. Yes, and she is so brilliantly funny. She is the first openly lesbian cast member. I believe there was an openly gay ca- a gay man that our friend was telling us a who worked long, on the show. A long, long time ago. Yeah, they did that. I'm in the Army and I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> don't that don't mean I swish and sway. Sound off. 
Do you, wow, do you, no, I don't yeah. remember. Yeah. Yeah, he used to do, he did an impersonation of Nancy Reagan. That's how oh, long ago okay. it was. And it was, I think that was the the, the gay one. I, we're also getting a suggestion that it's the Dinner Party Show Spooners, which I, oh, which is, uh, yeah, wow. that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty well, good, Desiree. we have a word for, actually, we have a, another edition Little of our lunchers. special series, um, <laughs> Best Served Warm, and then we'll be back to wrap up the show. And now, in keeping with the Dinner Party Show's commitment to community enrichment, it's time for another in our ongoing series of public service announcements featuring the people who make the Dinner Party Show what it is. Best served warm. I'm Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, and this is a very special edition of Best Served Warm. This past Tuesday, I publicly stated that people should be allowed to vote on the issue of gay marriage because it is a more recent invention than cell phones and the internet. I was quickly corrected by many on the internet who pointed out that so-called Native American communities honored same-sex relations for many years before the real Native Americans entered this country and discovered they were the true Native Americans. As we all know, settling a nation is not like winning a marathon. It's not who crossed the finish line first, it's who came up behind them the fastest and kicked them to the curb the minute they sat down to catch their breath. That's what the free market is all about, folks. So while humility and a willingness to be corrected are admirable qualities in any man, you can't establish a precedent using a group of people who didn't exist. So my message for you all today is twofold. It's fine to correct people on the internet, but only if you're willing to argue within the same arbitrary parameters that make their argument work in the first place. Also, when you win the race, make sure to see who's still running behind you and what they're packing. I'm Justice Samuel Alito, and this is Best Served Warm. Well, this has really been great. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, what were that? There was some chimes. Some chimes. This is great. This I love doing this. The, um, you guys are the you're, best guests. They are the best guests, but Samuel Alito was really a jerk just now. Are you not going to comment on that? I, you know, I think it's kind of amazing that we have not talked about any of the Supreme Court of gay marriage stuff all You want to know why? We've been distracted by our other most interesting topic. What? Us. Us. Oh, <laughs> right. My favorite topic. Like, people posted news articles and stuff, but yeah. most of their questions were about us, and they were like, well, if you, since you asked, here's 20 minutes of our reflections right. we got on all, us. We got all jumped up on chocolate Easter bunnies and well, talked also, about we have ourselves a new, for two we did, hours. We did get asked about our tea, and we have a new tea in the mix. David Berenholtz from Absolutely. the American Tea Room, who visited the show a few weeks ago, brought us some Yum. Kensington, which is very potent. We're loving it. <laughs> our sadistic manservant, Shea Butters, has been bringing us cups of uh, black tea all evening. So this has been great, it's though. It's a blend. It's a blend. It's, yeah, it's been a and great week. And for those of you who are still listening, <laughs> haven't gotten bored with hearing about the two of us. Um, we have some. We have a great guest next week too. We do, and her name is Anne Rice. Yeah! 
Oh, shit. <laughs> I do that to the kids all the time. I think if I press them twice, they'll go on longer, and I just uh, shut them you up. just shut those Yes, she is going to be coming through town, and she will be in the studio, and she will... Uh, be here to talk about actually what she wants her. to talk about is her, but also <laughs> uh, Hollywood fair, fair. developments relating to her book. Some various Hollywood very sort of exciting updates. Yeah, some of them are exciting. And she's going to Seattle to see a I don't play know. Yeah, of one of, that somebody play. has made of. I think mm-hmm. Cry to Heaven, one yes, of her books. Absolutely. So if you live in Seattle and you want to be a you know heads up, Anne's headed your way. She is. She is. We so you stick around or here. run for the hills. Absolutely. However you, however you feel about that, but we always love. Having her. She was our first guest on the show, and she'll be back here joining us next week. So that's always fun. We'll have yeah. to build, rebuild that caviar chair. Absolutely. <laughs> Billy, get started on that, babe. Or maybe I'll bring my cats. What? I just think because... it would be fun to bring my cats. I know Jordan brought his cat earlier. Yeah, that should that go, go great. Yeah, I, because nobody's cute. allergic to cats. So let's get as much cat dander here in the studio Are as possible. Are you allergic to cats? No. Okay, well then I don't see what the problem is. I... Yeah, that's that's part of the thing that I find so astonishing. <laughs> I really don't. Okay, we actually have a little extra time left before we close out the show, so we had one last news item that I'm just going to get your opinion on very briefly. Judge awards eight thousand dollars to a man who got stuck on Disney's Small World or Small World, excuse me, Small World ride. <laughs> It's a small world after all. Jose Martinez won, won for a lot of people today. A federal judge awarded the California man $8,000 in damages from Disneyland after he had to sit in the goodbye room of the It's a Small World ride for 30 minutes. I love that it's called the goodbye room. <laughs> well, and then it makes it a perfect story to close out our show with. Right? While park officials repaired it, he was forced to sit there for a full half hour. The San Francisco Chronicle spoke to Martinez's lawyer, David Geffen. Right? What? <laughs> I think it's a different David Geffen. Has he gone into law now? No, I don't even think he graduated from high school. Disneyland employees evacuated other riders but had no way to help Martinez, who is paralyzed and uses a wheelchair. Oh, that's not funny. Uh, he suffers from panic attacks and high blood pressure, both of which became an issue as he sat in the boat. The Small World song playing over... And yeah, that's the part that I think he got the $8,000 for because they should be able to turn off the damn song when the ride breaks. I understand that the ride breaks sometimes. He was probably perfectly comfortable. It's air-conditioned and whatever, but they should be able to turn off the damn song. I think everybody, Brandon and Brad in the room, are losing it. Everywhere cracking up our control staff. Maybe they've just had all those cookies. Yeah, the they're all jumped up on But that's the Easter thing. Why didn't too. they turn the damn song off? I hear now they're going to pay you to go on the It's a Small World ride. I swear to God, I think that Disney probably danced naked in the streets when the award was $8,000. That's, uh, you know, like they make that in about 45 seconds over at the Disney company. Well, and the other thing we didn't get a chance to talk about, but which we've posted on the Facebook page, if people want to scroll back and see it, is a an artist has done a series of gay portraits of d- male Disney characters making out and being tender with each other. Oh, which that's that, adorable. Given that Disney once sued an elementary school for having Donald Duck on their wall, I, I'm sure no this one's going to really sue that gonna guy This is really going to give them fits. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the, it's like anime. When anime characters make out, it's, they're particularly, I don't know. I, I think it's it weird be... when cartoons have sex. I just think it's okay, weird. Okay, well, that's, I just said make out. I didn't say having sex. That's a different. Well, you were thinking it. It's a completely different. Well, apparently you were in you any were case. You were thinking it. Okay, and, well. And we want to thank Samiko for the uh, the Walking Dead Easter basket. Oh, that Lord. was a particularly lovely Samiko has addition. been tasked with trying to get Eric interested in zombies. 
And, you know. Good effing luck, Samantha. Yeah, good luck with that. But, good you know, it's really luck. sweet. The Easter basket is really a nice touch. So Excellent. thank you for that anyway. Well, we had a lot of people join us tonight. We couldn't mention you all individually. But, but we um, really appreciate it. And it's inspired us to do this more. Absolutely. So. We're not going to have any more celebrity guests on the show. We're just well, going to have you I'm guys. I'm not going to say that. I like doing that, too. But I loved doing the show with just you guys, with our spooners or our gentle listeners or whatever it is we're going to end up calling each other. Absolutely. So we're going to work on that one. I'm not sure. I'm spooners. I don't know. Anyway, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And this has been the Dinner Party Show. We'll be back next week with special guest Ann Rice. Until then. Hippity hop. Hippity hop. <gasps> Yip, yippee. <laughs> oh, who's that? <laughs> I've been to a marvelous party.